Hi, I'm Samantha Yap, and I help blockchain and cryptocurrency companies tell their stories. I'm really passionate about demystifying emerging technologies and making it easy to understand for everyone. I'm embarking on this journey to discover the history of money in order to better understand where money is heading today. In this series, we'll explore why Bitcoin, digital currencies, and decentralized finance may play an important role in our future. Come join me on the story of money by AppCast. So where better to start the journey of money than on the Yap Islands, 9 degrees north of the equator in tropical Micronesia, a region in the Western Pacific Ocean. The nearest significant landfall from Yap is New Guinea, 1,400 kilometers to the south. That's about from London to Rome. Burt Lancaster, an American actor and producer, made a movie there about the very thing I want to talk about the monetary system of Yap. Now, my family name isn't connected to the islands, and we didn't name this podcast after it either. But I figured it's a great starting point to understanding the past and perhaps the future of money. The Yappies use dollars these days, but they're most famous for using donut-shaped stones as a form of currency. However, it was not the only form of money at the time. Traditional money on Yap included coconut fiber rope, turmeric, banana fiber mats, mortars and pestles, and pearl shells. You get the gist. But it's the stone discs, known as rye or fei, which have captured the imagination of sociologists and monetarists. The discs range in diameter from a foot to 12 feet, and they were made of a crystalline form of limestone called aragonite. They were valuable because they didn't come from the Yap Islands, but had to be mined on the Palo Islands 450 kilometers away. This made them hard to get, and many fell off bamboo rafts while trying to carry the stones to Yap Island upon return. Such factors affected their value, along with size, color, shape, and age, and the number of lives expended to obtain it. In 1871, when an Irish adventurer called David O'Keefe, known as the King of Hard Currency, started mining and shipping rye on an industrial scale, inflation kicked in. The Yappies developed a preference for the older stones and much larger ones until gradually the tradition of mining stones was abandoned. Scholars are divided on exactly how the stones were used and what they actually signified. Their lack of agreement illustrates not just how historians can never agree on anything, but also that money itself remains much of a mystery, something I hope to unravel in this series. So what does it mean to possess or own money? We would usually demand that money is transferred to us either digits on a screen via our bank accounts or the physical transfer of coins and notes. The Yappies didn't bother with this though, at least with their stones, because they were too large and heavy to transport easily. Most stones just stayed put in someone's backyard, but the community would be told about the exchange and everyone would know who owned the stone or what fraction of it. We do the same thing with gold. A certificate of ownership is usually enough to demonstrate that we own some of the bullion in a vault. Now this brings in the element of trust and accountability with money. Money has come a long way since the app, but it still relies on trust. We trust that the bank will look after our deposits. We trust that the customer who pays with cash isn't giving us counterfeit bills. We trust that the waiter who goes away with our credit card isn't going to clone it. 
So while we don't leave our money in the street or someone else's yard like the yappies, we still rely heavily on trust to make our monetary system work. The system has refined itself over the centuries, but the basics have remained the same. So does this trust system work well? Or could it be better? Here to answer this question is George Harrop, the co-founder of Step Finance and head of decentralized finance at Yap Global. George is a crypto entrepreneur and one of the earliest Bitcoin pioneers. He has been in the crypto space for almost a decade now, first as an early miner, then a builder of the world's first crypto remittance startup. George now focuses exclusively on the decentralized finance space, which he believes is the next giant leap for crypto assets and blockchain technology. Hey, George, really excited to have you on Yafcast. We have known each other for about two years. We worked together while you were running a crypto remittance company. It's been a while. It's been a while, but it's been a fun time. I think it's closer to like three years as well. So yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, like time flies because the thing about the industry that we're in is we traveled a lot before COVID to many conferences and it was nice to see you around the world. Yeah, hopefully that time will return again soon. Yeah, I'm really excited to go back to the basics because money as we know it is changing. So let's just start with, George, what is money to you? Well, I think money is something central to everyone's life. And I think for me, it is the ability to transact and ultimately money is freedom. It is a representation of our time that we put into things, our labor essentially. And yeah, I would say that money is this mechanism for us to transact our labor. You know, if I'm really good at at building shoes and and you're really good at, uh, I don't know, uh, doing Yapcast, um, we can trade our time and labor by this uh, this medium in between called money. But let's go to the basics. Money to many people is a piece of paper. I'm in London, I'm in the UK. If I want to go buy groceries, I will need either pieces of paper or it would be a balance on my bank account and I will go to the store, tap my card in the card machine and then I'll be able to get my food. So is that how you see money? All over the world, people use a thing called money and generally it's pieces of paper. And generally these pieces of paper are issued by various governments around the world. There's like 200 of them. But I, I think we'd all agree that some monies are better than others, right? So, you know, you, you probably wouldn't want to have a $1 trillion Zimbabwe dollar note to go and do your, your groceries as opposed to like, you know, a one pound coin or something. It'd become kind of unmanageable if you have to take a wheelbarrow with you every time you go to the supermarket. So uh, given that, we know that some monies are better than other. So I guess for me, I'm trying to, to look for that best form of money and I'm trying to use that best form of money and I'm trying to incorporate that into my life. This hotel that I'm in, I paid for in, in crypto, a form of money. In different parts of the world, you know, sometimes people have cards or mobile apps or the physical cash, the pieces of paper. Did you just say you paid for your hotel room in crypto? Because surely the hotel did not accept your Bitcoin or Ethereum. Yes, there was a middleman involved who took my Bitcoin and then was able to pay the hotel in the form of money which they want, uh, you know, which in this case, right. I'm in Dubai, that's dirhams, right? Right. But then isn't that kind of inconvenient? Because like, why don't you just have dirhams to pay for your hotel room, why did you need to pay via crypto? That that sounds inefficient. Well, I literally couldn't. So like one of the problems was that my bank card doesn't work. My billing address is not in the same country as the thing which I'm booking. And, and the website that I'm booking on 
also doesn't accept cards issued in the country of which my card is from. So basically, like, I couldn't actually pay for this hotel if I was to use the traditional, you know, I guess, right. banking system. Yeah, but surely these days people have credit cards that are linked to Visa and MasterCard. You know, when I travel, yes, it's expensive exchange fees. But if I'm really stuck and lost somewhere in another country, I can trust that the more reputable hotels and restaurants will take my Visa or my MasterCard. Don't you have any of that? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but it comes down to billing addresses and this like concept of for some reason when we book something online, we need to tell people where we live. I don't see why that even matters. Right. Like, you know, if I have the money and I want to give it to you, can I just give it to you? Um, and sometimes, like, they only do certain countries or certain cards. You know, there's lots of different things in between. Oh, is it a Visa or a Mastercard that can like interfere with this transaction? If I give my money to the hotel via a Visa card, well, that includes a bank, it includes a credit card issuer, it includes a a merchant provider, like there's a lot of people involved in that transaction. There's like right. eight or something. And you still had to use a middleman though if you wanted to pay in crypto. So that's another person involved, right? That's still a middleman. Sure, but there's also places in the world that take crypto direct where there's no middleman and I can just pay someone where? direct. And, oh, where? I paid for that in, in Hong Kong. There's been places um, that I've stayed at and uh, you can pay rent and stuff like direct in crypto. Um, to but I can account. imagine that's rare. It's rare today to find a hotel that will take crypto. Maybe you just are very good at finding the right places to go to. I guess here's the thing, right? Like I, as a person who wants to use the services of a hotel, I have crypto. And they, as a hotel, need to pay rent and employees' salaries in the local currency and government taxes or whatever it might be. So fundamentally, there's always going to be a need for fiat if everything we're valuing in society is using this money called fiat and basically that the government is saying that you have to use it. So fundamentally, you're like, yes, people can accept Bitcoin, but at some stage, they're going to probably convert some of that to pay the bills. Um, So the question is like, are there places where I can pay with crypto and then it's somebody else's problem to do that? And the answer is yes. There's, There's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of places worldwide where there's like these middlemen who essentially take a crypto and convert it into the local currency and then pay people. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm taking a, a plane flight soon as well. And again, I've paid via crypto for that one too. So there is some middleman involved there that's paying the airline uh, who needs to buy fuel and, and pay for people's salaries and so on. So the Yappies stored their money on a ledger and that's how people back in the day knew how much money they had. For me, I know how much money I have based on the bank balance. And I know that at the end of the day, my bank will be able to give me that sum of money if I want to spend it for whatever I please. Well, let me ask you this. Why didn't you calculate the amount of wealth that you have denominated in Yappies rocks? Because today, Sainsbury's will only take my British pounds whenever I want to shop for groceries. Right. So it's kind of geographically limited as well, right? So, you know, you might think of your wealth one way and, and somebody else might think of their wealth in an entirely different paradigm. It seems like you you are trusting, you know, what the bank tells you as the numbers, uh, you know, in, in your bank balance and you use those numbers to go and spend on stuff. And you're trusting that somebody else will give you something in return for these numbers, Right. So it kind of has to have both people in this transaction trusting. You have to have Sainsbury's at the grocery store and you have to have yourself and you both kind of mutually agree that this thing is is worth transacting, right? It works. They trust that my HSBC card has this bank balance and then they'll take it and 
I mean, the system works. I guess trust is only sort of relative to where you are. Like they don't trust some other country or some other currency. So I, I think trust is kind of this relationship that comes back to governments and what they have jurisdiction over. You know, the the government of the UK doesn't have jurisdiction over the government of France or the land of France or anything. So, you know, they can't take their money. So they have to have their own money and they have to take that. So I would say that when we're talking about trust, keep it in context that it's usually something that's very specific and regional to individual people. It's not global. It's not international. I can't spend my pounds where I live at the moment. So I think we have to be aware that is this the best form of money that is kind of limited on sort of where we happen to be standing at the current present time. Are there better forms of money? And and I would say that there are better forms of money. There are systems where we don't have to trust our local government or bank or, or something like that. Right. We have touched on currencies like fiat currencies. And actually, could you give us an explainer? Like what is fiat? So fiat means uh, by decree. So its value is determined by decree, which means the government says it has value, so therefore it has value. Whereas we would say something like gold, gold has value not by decree, but by voluntary people transacting. So like you can take one ounce of gold all over the world and you can trade it for goods and services. You can trade it for stuff. People will value it. And it's not because they've been told to value it or somebody's saying, hey, you need to use this thing. It's just because it's one ounce of gold and everyone realizes that that's a valuable thing. Uh, whereas, you know, pounds, euros, these things are not like that. Like we just discussed, right? I can't take my pounds uh, to Dubai and spend them. It doesn't work like that. People don't recognize it. So by decree uh, versus a currency which is voluntary uh, like gold. Right. So you touched before on gold and it makes me think, do we even know where money came from? Because money seems to be a concept that we're all still, we're inventing, we're kind of making it up as we go, right? Yeah, I think if you look through history, and history is a great example of, uh, you know, the rise and fall of empires and tied to a lot of that is the money. Uh, like I think we, the first form of money was probably back in ancient Sumeria, I think about 5,000 BC or something like that. Um, and they used uh, various tally sticks in order to see how much you owed somebody. So like a farmer might uh, owe somebody uh, some, some quote, money, but they would register it as sort of uh, notches on a stick. And, uh, and the two people would, would take a copy of these sticks or they would break the stick in two. And then uh, if, if at a later date you needed to make sure that that was the person I owed money, you could put the two sticks back together and it would work. So that's one example of how Um, you know, the ancient Sumerians used it. But ultimately, it kind of went from using sticks as money or with the Yappies case, you know, rocks. Um, And a a lot of civilizations around the world converged on gold and silver being money. What we've seen throughout certainly the last 5,000 years of history is that the common theme for humans being able to transact with each other is that gold and silver seems to have been the predominant form of money And often when somebody else tries to insert themselves in the middle of that, like a central bank um, or or some local ruler or something like that throughout history, and they've interfered with the the supply of the gold and silver coins or or reduced the content of gold and silver in these coins, it's generally led to ruin uh, and inflation. So you can look at the Roman Empire, you can see how the the gold content in their coins uh, you know, when they first had the Roman Republic was uh, was very pure, but at the end of it, it was maybe one hundredth of that. 
um, and uh, and things were a lot more expensive back then, uh, you know, because of this, I guess, debasement of the real value of money. But what we can take from this is money has to have value uh, in order for it to be useful. If money doesn't have value, then why would you use it? Why would you, you know, uh, spend all of your time working and, and doing all of these tasks if you're earning something which is not useful at all and has no value? So I think value is another core concept of money. We've got trust, we've also got value, and, uh, and, and these are some of the tenants that you have to have in order to have a useful monetary system uh, in, your, in your local country. Right, so you're basically saying gold and silver are more valuable than fiat currencies that we have today. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you can take a, a one pound a gold coin it's currently selling for, uh, I think, at the Royal Mint, something like $1,700 worth. I don't know what that is in pounds. It's probably 1,500 pounds or something. That's versus like one pound in a coin that you would probably have in your wallet, right? So clearly one is more valuable than the other. Um, I guess the, the measurement here is like, what do you measure it in? Do you measure it in pounds? Do you measure it in dollars? Do you measure it in uh, Bitcoin? Or, or, or what do you measure it in? So um, with gold, you, you always have this, this one measurement which works everywhere in the world. Um, right. I get it. But practically today, if I have a gold bar and I go walk into my local restaurant, they won't take, I mean, maybe they would, but like they won't take the gold bar, or maybe like chip at it to go, all right, this is how much your pizza costs. I mean, no one's using gold today to transact and it seems very clunky. I mean, right now it seems like people have just gold bars in a vault. Right. Well, I mean, this is going back to history again. This is the same problem that that uh, many uh, civilizations have faced over the years. In that you had all of these uh, physical metals which were worth something, but carrying them around all day was was really hard. So I think it was uh, in in China, paper money was invented there first. So you would have representations of money that's held somewhere else. So this kind of gets into the trust that we spoke about earlier, whereby well, if we have a hundred ounces of gold and we make some pieces of paper that says, well, uh, you know, we have 100 pieces of paper um, to, to certify that uh, there is 100 ounces of gold backing these, these pieces of paper, one ounce each. We have to trust someone for that, right? Uh, who are we gonna trust? Um, and that's the question. You could, you could trust maybe, you know, the local merchant, uh, and in ancient societies, that local merchant maybe became a bank, uh, whereby they would have a vault, they would have all of this gold there, and uh, it would be much more practical to put it there because it was more secure, you couldn't get robbed, and they would just give you these pieces of paper. But of course, what happens if they issue more pieces of paper than the gold which they already had? And that's where currency debasement uh, happened and where essentially you could have these, lots of these pieces of paper. They're easy to manufacture. They have really not much value at all. Um, but uh, but the, the currency that's actually backing those things, um, you know, you've got to make sure that you have an equivalent amount Otherwise, your pieces of paper are useless um, and you'll need more pieces of paper to buy the same thing. Um, so that's sort of what we've seen throughout time. Okay, so in a sense, money is a medium of exchange that everyone kind of agrees and trusts. Today, we kind of all agree and trust that one British pound is one British pound, one US dollar is one US dollar. We don't kind of agree that we should be transacting gold bars to buy houses today, um, but you're saying that that's kind of what works. Why are we using paper money today? What happened along the way? Things have developed over the last, say, 500, 600 years where you've seen the proliferation of a lot of these banks that have popped up. 
um, that started as places where people could store their gold and these banks would issue uh, promissory notes, uh, essentially saying, hey, uh, we're good for this amount of gold and uh, here's this piece of paper for you. You can redeem it at any time. Um, that's how sort of the, the origins of modern banking started. But right now, you can't go and take your pounds and go to your local bank and say, hi, I'd please like the gold equivalent of this, please, and, and the money which is backing you know, my pounds because no currency is backed by gold anymore. Um, they're all based on basically the faith of, of the local government. So when we're talking about fiat currency, currency by decree, and we're talking about trust, we're talking about value, um, currently we have no actual value that's backing the currency. We have the trust of the local government and we have the decree of the local government saying that it's valuable. So this kind of means that you know, a lot of your day-to-day -day, uh, you know, transactions depend on if you have a good government or not. Um, and you know, there's a lot of places where the local governments, let's say, are, are not ideal. So a lot of people in the world are uh, transacting without having this, this implicit trust in what they're doing. You know, if the bank is there, maybe the bank doesn't even give them a, an account. Uh, maybe often, you know, I've currently uh, worked with the UN in the past, we went to Tajikistan, and when we were there, we were told that two banks in the last few years collapsed and everyone lost their money. So if you had money in the bank, this place where you're meant to trust and you're meant to trust the value of it because the government says it's valuable, well, everyone just lost their money and it's worth nothing, right? And now you're poor because all your money's gone. So I think, yeah, when we're talking about, um, yeah, value, we've got to really focus on these, these currencies which are not dependent on these middlemen and these intermediaries which essentially have no value. And if they disappeared tomorrow, then, then our wealth and value would also disappear. And that's a, that's a bad thing to have. So George, for you and me, we don't exactly face these problems that you just spoke about. The bank does give me money when I need to spend it and I trust it today. And the system works quite well where I am, at least. Well, not all the time. Uh, I remember one time when I was traveling in Malaysia, uh, I had my card and the, the ATM ate my card and now I have no access to money. And I was having no ability to buy food for the next day or, or pay the rest of my, my hotel room. So I had to find some other source of money without a bank card. And I went to the local bank, they didn't want to give me back my card and, and all these sorts of things. So eventually it ended up where I had some Bitcoin, I had a laptop. Um, my friend uh, was also in, in Malaysia at the time and, and I said, hey, can we do a cash deal? And uh, I sold some Bitcoin to him, he gave me the cash and now I have money. So I guess, yeah, the, the, the moral of the story here perhaps is it, it can happen in, in many places around the world. You know, my example earlier of me paying, uh, having problems paying for my hotel as well because I didn't want to accept my, my debit card or whatever reason it was, the card wasn't issued in the right country. It probably works for us in this narrow band of circumstances, but, but that's not everyone in the world. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today, George. Thanks so much for sharing your insights with us. Thanks for having me. We've had a great conversation about trust and accountability with our money, differences in the perceived value of money, and the difficulties that can arise from trying to get our hands on our money when we need it. In the next episode, George and I are going to discuss if there's a solution to these challenges. If you'd like to watch my full-length conversation with George Harrop, head to the Yapcast YouTube channel. I'm Samantha Yap. Thanks for listening to the story of money by Yapcast. <laughs>